0: Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Bauer.
0: And I'm Brandon Polk.
1: Welcome to season three, episode three of Behind the Scene, a conversation focused on understanding the biases that are through to society's racial tensions. Uh, Brandon and I have been, uh, planning to record this episode. I mean, we just had it, you know, on the calendar to discuss for a while. Uh, we actually, we were supposed to record last week. Couldn't happen last week, uh, because of some things going on in my life. And, uh, so we bumped it to this week and just happened to be after everything disrupted this week, talking about the shooting of, uh, Ahmad And I hope I'm saying that right. I've only read news stories. I haven't really watched any news stories uh, about the shooting of uh, this 25 year old black man who was jogging through a neighborhood and two white men saw him, thought he looked like someone who was involved in a string of robberies, decided to arm up and chase him down to to confront him, uh, to speak with him. And of course, when you pull a gun on someone, uh, his defense mechanism went in and he tried to run away. The guys kind of looked like they cornered him according to a cell phone video that was out there. And uh, and they they got on a confrontation and uh, Mr. Arbery ended up dead. Uh, that was back in February. But we've only now recently with the release of that that cell phone video. Uh, are talking about only now, and it was only this week, actually, that they, they arrested those two men for murder uh, and, and press charges uh, against them. And so it, it's been kind of wild to see all this blow up. Uh, and it's really, really heavy on people's hearts, you know, all, all across the board. I will say that that's different. It, it's kind of reminiscent of Trayvon Martin from 2012, uh, just eight years ago. Where uh that was another vigilante who uh stopped a black teenager walking through a neighborhood because he looked like someone who might have been involved in a string of robberies and if you're you're seeing and noticing a trend here uh they ended up in a confrontation um this this guy and trayvon Martin ended up dying ended up uh being shot and killed in this confrontation uh and even just eight years ago, I think you you didn't see a lot of this kind of outpouring from so many people so many uh, you know uh Black people, uh, maybe they didn't feel the uh, the safety to be able to grieve openly. But I'm seeing more now, uh, a lot of pe- white people in my network sharing this and just how egregious it is. And I think part of it has to do with the cell phone video that was released. But um, anyhow, um, that's what I'm seeing yeah. on this. And uh, I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing, Brandon. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is, you know, I, th- I think the... You know, and anyway, I'm I'm already just flustered. <laughs> you know, yeah. just kind of talking about this, and um, and and not for the reasons that people would think. I, I'm I've been clear, will continue to be clear that this type of behavior is alarming to Black people. It is not surprising to Black people.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we will never be okay with it, but we are not surprised or in awe or shocked. Um that this could be happening considering that um you know yes there is a 400 year you know history or 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 there there's a history that goes back 400 years you know with relationship to slavery in this country and the ways in which black and brown people were treated i mean these are the 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 storylines that we hear all of the time you know uh you know this is the black lives matter response this is how black people feel about this. This is what we assume. This is what white people assume black people are feeling about it, which is why white people are now taking to their social media channels, you know, along with black people and Brown people and, you know, posting, you know, their faces uh, or the face of Ahmad, you know, on, on, on their channels, basically saying, you know, run for Ahmad or run with Ahmad, you know, whatever the hashtags are, which I'm completely in support of. I'm glad that awareness is being risen, um, you know, about this incident and that people are being impacted by it. Um, here's the, the challenge, I, or, or rather what I think that we can do differently, you know, in this episode, which is something that we haven't typically done, which is to really get into the psychosis of racism, basically, you know, and, you know, Mark, you know, we were talking earlier, you know, about, you know, what racism isn't. Mostly, you know, um, mostly the racism isn't two guys following you down with a gun and shooting you, you know, two white guys shooting a black person. That's not the most sinister version of it. You know, that's not the most diabolical version of racism. Um, I would suggest that the most sinister version of it or, and, and the most present existence of racism is the form that is most subtle it's the kind that you don't see. It's the unconscious bias. It's the ways in which people can get away with treating another person. And honestly, it's the way in which privilege can sometimes allow um, uh, people that are white to avoid the issue, except in times of crisis like this. So what I'm looking for and what I'm hoping for is that we could at some point you know, stop get getting triggered, you know, um, in, in, in in ways that we think are productive um, by singular moments, by episodic things going on in time. You know, this is an important thing and we and and, and it can be leveraged for all of the benefits, you know, that can come from um, harnessing the opportunity of a tragedy, right? But that 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 is a super complicated narrative, you know, that that is oftentimes being being exercised on the back of a young man that died, you know, and it it just, you know, it just so happens that we're recording this, you know, on what would have been Ahmad's 26th birthday, you know, on May 8th. And, you know, so for, for me, you know, the, the purposes of, of this episode, we can shift it a bit from, you know, talking about maybe my experience or my pain as a, as a black person that I feel like, We've talked about so much in the context of this podcast. We'll continue to do that that's still relevant um, to be talking about you know the diversity of uh, of experiences that black and brown people could be happening could could be having um, uh, in the context of racism as being the victims of racism. But I think there's um, also something else that I'm very curious about and have sort of asked Mark to be. Uh, the uh, pigeon, you know, for, for this conversation today, which is, you know, what, what happens or what, what permission can be given to a white person who's looking at this right now, looking at this situation and either doesn't believe it, doesn't believe that it's racism, doesn't believe that they're experiencing racism. Maybe they're covering up their own um, like, like susceptibility to racism or whatever, um, by posting on their social media channels and hashtagging whatever, and thinking that somehow that's evidence of they're being less racist or something like that, or that they're just not in that club, or you know, everyone and no, you know, they're just so shocked that this could be happening in America today. All of this, and but you know, it's 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 not lost on me, you know, that now that these two two guys, these 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 white guys, this father and the son, now that they've been arrested for murder and aggravated assault, um what will be what will happen next week, you know, to Ahmad's name and his history and and his legacy. We're I'm 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 nearly confident that we're gonna stop talking about this young man. And yet all of the white people perhaps that have posted on social media are going to think that somehow they've done some good when really I think they've just covered, you know, for any of the potential ways in in which they could be struggling with this disease of racism basically you know and let me clarify just by saying i'm not calling anyone a racist it's not about being a racist it's not about that it's about navigating through the history of the bite on your arm or the, the, the history of, of the venom of racism being in this country, if you are a part of it and all of us are dealing with the fallout, right. In some way. And I think it's just not, it hasn't been highlighted enough what it would actually take, um, you know, to have an honest and a genuine breakdown um, of how racism um has has impacted genuine, authentic, um, well-meaning white people who are lost in how to have the conversation, but are also just lost in how to find it if it exists within themselves. So Mark, <laughs> this one is hmm. up to you to unpack this experience for White people, well, just maybe, just from your from your own experience, what does it look like to come into the awareness of racism as a problem? I mean, I mean, this is a really vulnerable thing, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't go so far. I, I would never go so far as to call you a racist, but obviously, you have gone through some sort of deep soul searching and have recognized some things about yourself that were honestly the impetus for this podcast and we wouldn't be on this podcast if 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 this would not be happening if it wasn't for that awareness that you came to personally. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, where did that show up first for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can, I always, uh, point to my, my experience in relational counseling, uh, because it was there that I realized you know oh man i'm 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 going through life with a person, and um I have my perspective that I'm living, and in that counseling you're exposed you're forced to take a look because you're you're probably pursuing counseling because something's been broken down to a point where you're seeking outside help, and so when you're at that point, you're a little bit more willing to kind of look within yourself to excavate your heart and to see, oh man, all these things, all these problems that I thought were occurring in the relationship and that I thought was a, dro- a result of this other person is actually, a lot of it is emanating from within myself. And so a lot of the problems that occurred in the relationship, uh, I realized that if I just changed and worked on myself, that those those problems kind of dissolved for the most part. And, um, and so, when I realized, you know, this was around the time of uh, the Trayvon Martin shooting that I mentioned earlier, and then later Ferguson in 2014, uh, it was kind of just a, a moment of excavating my heart in in entirely different ways too—not just relationally, but just where else have I been wrong? And looking around uh, the world to to kind of see—and I've also—I I heard a white pastor speak, Matt Chandler, and he this around the time of. Ferguson encouraged white people to to lean in and listen as well and so shamefully that's kind of what it took was another white person saying hey listen up there's something here mm. um, that I just I had been blind to um, because I, I wasn't willing to take the time to to kind of stop and listen and then once I did stop and listen I began to recognize the similarities uh, of all these experiences and so even friends I've had you know black and brown friends my entire life i've lived in a very uh diverse area went to a very diverse school but those were just conversations that we never had and then i never thought to ask them i thought it was an otherness uh, something that occurred outside you know in other communities and um uh, but once i started seeing the commonalities of you know those experiences of, you know getting stopped uh while driving or you know uh, being looked at funny by security if you're shopping in a high-end retail store or it doesn't even have to be high-end it could be any retail store and so uh it was kind of just a. Sh- once I realized it once it was uh I came to that realization it was it was almost shameful just like it was in my relationship where I realized man I've I've been wrong in these areas and uh you know you were in your own way trying to communicate that to me and I just I wasn't listening to it for whatever reason it wasn't landing and I wasn't uh, able to internalize it and produce change in myself and so uh, I think that that's where we're kind of at I think I've seen in my social media feed like I said a lot of more white people sharing uh, just because it is so egregious uh, because we do have the cell phone video of it uh, and it's I liken it to kind of the pandemic that we're in right now with coronavirus where, you know, it it's easy to stay home to flatten the curve to help prevent the spread of coronavirus when you're coughing or when you're feverish or when you're achy uh, because you're exhibiting those symptoms and and it's pretty egregious. It's easy to say, OK, I'm going to self-quarantine at home uh, to prevent the spread. It's much more difficult to to stay home and self-quarantine to prevent the spread when you're not exhibiting any symptoms. And it's those people who are asymptomatic carriers of coronavirus that are the most uh, problematic to society, because we don't know who has it. We don't know who's spreading it. And so in a very similar way, I would say it's, it's those white people who haven't taken the time to say, Hey, you know what? I, I, I don't think that I'm exhibiting any egregious behavior. I'm not following any black men through my neighborhood or confronting them. Uh, I'm not, you know, looking at, someone sideways uh, if they're in a high-end retail store. Uh, but by virtue of being in this uh, society that has been built, you know, on uh, everything's affected by, you know, capitalism, uh, our very democracy, our very constitution, like there, there's racism if you look at it in all of those things. and uh, And so just by virtue of being in it but not doing anything about it, you are continuing to perpetuate it, and that's a hard thing to hear uh because uh we, nobody wants to believe that they're racist or that they're white supremacist or or what have you but if your uh your inaction um continues to be a problem for uh you know your black friends your black uh brothers and sisters in in your own communities
0: well um you 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 mentioned something that I'd like to ask maybe this is easier or harder to answer, but you said that you just weren't able to hear it, you know, from a person of color, you know, that it took a white person to speak to another white person in order to get you to consider that there was something going on. Right. Um, so do you think, you know, that, that, that there was a reason why you wouldn't have listened to brown people or black people or those friends in a way, like, did you just not believe them or were you just not aware? And then, you know, what, what was different, you know, about hearing it from a white person, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I think part of it was that because it wasn't something that I'd seen with my own eyes or heard with my own ears, you know, I've been an observer to basically uh, I yeah, I tended to discount uh, the experiences that I was hearing from people, and like I said, you know, that if I heard about it on the news, uh, it's easy to dis um, to disregard it as something that's happening somewhere else. Uh, it's not happening in your community, and of course, I'm not engaging with my my friends about it because it's it's not an issue. It's uh, it's it's kind of an unspoken thing, and so. I think we, we just we live in a very politicized culture where we're quick to react and we're quick to defend ourselves. And most of the time, it's not even about you. Um, you know, if you uh, are criticized at work for your work performance, or if you're criticized in a relationship, you're just doing something that like, maybe creates on the other person. And they're just saying, hey, just so you know, you're aware this behavior is producing this in me. I, I just I would like you to stop that. Uh, I think our Natural tendency is to react uh, and come to our own defense without really absorbing what it is that the other party is saying. And so, if I was in a work environment, for example, and I was receiving low scores from my boss for performance, uh, then you know it, you might find yourself defending yourself, uh, being defensive, and not really absorbing that. But then, if someone were to come alongside you who says, "Hey, I've been here before. I've done this before. Uh, I'm seeing kind of the same things in you that I've seen in myself. And here's what I did to to overcome those challenges. And here's where I'm at now. You know, on the other side of that, I'm I'm flourishing. I'm receiving high performance marks on my reviews. Uh, so it's kind of akin to to that, uh, where I think it was just someone who I who I trusted, who I said, wow, this person is someone I trust who looks like me, who's saying that he was also a little ignorant. Uh, and then once he began listening in the same way, uh, began to piece those things together. And so that when I realized that, um, that's what kind of compelled me to uh to do the same. You know, it was after a couple of years of of listening and saying, Wow, like this is a lot deeper than I'd realized even um And if it was that difficult for me, someone who I thought was posturing myself, you know, to listen and then and finally engage on it, then how much more difficult would it be for others who just, you know, they don't have that person in their social circles who are speaking up people who look like them, who are kind of almost being like a mentor to say, hey, like, it's not that you're a racist or we're not trying to demonize white people. We're just trying to say, hey, there's something there you should listen
0: up. And, uh, and Yeah, page. I mean, I think you're hitting on one of the core conundrums, you know, for <laughs> anyone that is on the receiving side of not being trusted. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it, it's it's one of those things you just kind of go like, "What in the world? Like how how does this happen?" You know that? Um, and and Mark, you even said it. You're like, "I had black and brown friends, and they were trying to tell me, but it literally took someone." that you didn't know, like you don't know Matt Chandler, Pastor Matt Chandler personally, (laughs) right? But it took someone that, I mean, you like described it. It's someone with a shared experience or they came alongside of you and they were able to help you through it, you know? And I think that you just identified in a sense what part of that privilege looks like. And maybe on the other side of that, you know, you could articulate that that's what that was, you know, but when you were in it, and, and I'm only highlighting it just to say like, you know, and I've said this before, the, the, the importance of having um, a consistent presence of white voices who are, who are articulate, not partisan, but articulate in being able to communicate a thought out, um, an impassioned personal story, personal narrative about how they missed the mark on, on this somehow is important. It is is necessary to have ambassadors that are non-threatening ambassadors that say, hey, you know what? The way that you've approached this is not whole. It's not complete. And we're not trying to demonize you or minimize your your humanity as white people, which is a little ironic, isn't it? (laughs) You know, I find Mm -hmm. that to be incredibly, like, ironic. It's not tit for tat. Now, mind you, there are some people out there, right? Um, Like minority activists or, or this issue kind of advocate or, you know, whatever, who are like burn down the patriarchy, right? And, you know, give them what they deserve kind of stuff, you know? And I don't think that that's where, I mean, that's obviously not our, not our sentiment, you know, but it is ironic that those of us with a history of dehumanization are not, or of being dehumanized, our ancestors, whatever it is, are not turning around most of us and saying that we want to take away the humanity of white people because it's what they did to us. We don't want that. We, we want something else. Yes, we want you to hear us, but we want you to hear us so that you don't hurt us anymore. That's one. And we also want you to hear us because we don't want you to hurt yourselves anymore. (laughs) This also has an impact on you and we have to live in this world and in this country together. And, um, you know, this, this goes, you know, to that point of just like, you know, going on your social media channels. Great. Raise, raise awareness. I'm not saying to not do that, but, What you're describing is a way of being active, right? A way of engaging, a way of accepting that there's, quote unquote, just like you said it, quote unquote, there's something there, right? And so... I guess there are two follow-up questions. I'm super curious about it, of course, because I've, I'm not white, nor have I been white ever, um, e- except for in the times when I'm code switching and people forget that I'm black, <laughs> which is, you know, I am always aware that I am not white. <laughs> Other people seem to forget that. Um, but um, what is, uh, in, what could be an, like an interesting question is how do you get to the, how how do you really be, begin to wrangle or 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 begin to work through what is there once you accept that there is something there, right? Like, what mm-hmm. did you do um, to navigate through this? The like, and and was it stressful? You know, was it disillusioning? What did it feel like for one? And then, how did you manage through the the, the feeling? I mean, my number one guess is that you just need to tell everyone to go to therapy because that was, that's number one. What you do is you just find a therapist and you try and work this mess out, (laughs) you know, but um, yeah, I don't know. What, what, what was that like for you? Um, And then how did that turn into action for you? How long did it take? What did it feel like? And then uh, what did the action look like in order to cement this as, as something that you should continue to pursue and 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 then, do it in a way that that didn't feel threatening to you or at least or or yeah. or, or is it still threatening to you to consider yourself as yeah. dealing with this
1: I think it you know it comes in ways, and uh you know this has been an ongoing excavation it's a process like there's no arrival uh, and I think it should be not only in relation to race but in all things, you know where am I putting my identity too strongly? as a as a as a man or as a Democrat or a, I'm sorry, not as a Democrat, as a Republican. Uh and not even a Republican, that's just as a conservative. Uh, I'm kinda of misspeaking here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um you know or even as a Christian, you know, we, we can misplace our identity and, and hold on too tightly to that. And so you know one of the things one of the, the principles that I kinda of held on to in in counseling and trying to excavate issues relationally uh, I applied to the conversation of race as well and some of those were, were helpful to me and they continue to be uh, good r- reminders to go back to uh, because as you're navigating this it's easy to get into a kind of a woe or really uh, really shameful place that, that can be really dark and you know I'm not saying that you shouldn't go there uh, it's a place that you maybe should look under the hood a little bit too but in in, in counseling, I would say the thing that I learned that was helpful would be to understand that you're not a monster, uh, and anybody who's trying to to make you out to be one, uh, maybe is is doing that out of their own pain, um, and you know you have to be truthful and honest about how you contributed to that pain, uh, but where you can stop uh, yourself from going into that spiral you know, experiencing in the, in the context of the race conversation, white guilt, because I don't think that that's productive and I don't think it's, it's healthy place to be, uh, is to say, hey, I'm not a, I'm not a monster. You know, I, I've contributed in these ways, maybe by just being absent or maybe not, by not believing your stories, uh, but, but I'm not a monster. So anybody who tries to paint you as one, that's where you can say, hey, you know, maybe let's not go there, but here is where I am. I'm standing here and I'm going to lean into this conversation and I'm going to listen to you. Uh, but there's a line that that you can't cross. And that's one that would try to minimize me and dehumanize me. And and so I think it's, it's necessary to uh, do that. And where you see people attempting to dehumanize you, uh, you also have to understand that that's coming from a place of pain. And it's probably because you dehumanize them first you know, any kind of oppression, whether it's, uh, in a relationship or uh, a friendship or in a community, uh, people, people lash out at that. And so, um, one reason they're able to do that is because they, they view you as an oppressor. And so you have to be honest with yourself about, uh, about how you've contributed to that. Um, and then acknowledging where you've done that, because I think it's that acknowledgement that kind of breeds that trust, uh, for them to say, okay, you aren't a monster and you're not a monster because you're, you're verbalizing, you're, you're being, you're lamenting where you've contributed to this. And that's where I think you kind of begin to see some wholeness and some healing. Yeah,
0: that's so good. I love that. I mean, I don't love that you see yourself as a monster, but I, or that, that would be the thing that would have happened. I mean, I, I I, I can totally understand the fear of that though. And um, because these things are so intense and they are so like ravaging, especially when you you know, become rep. I mean, here's here's the thing. It's it's there's so much parody and irony in all of this, right? You know that no white person wants to be represented by the worst actors, right? Um, and yet, you know, for black people, we are oftentimes, you know, being lumped in with the worst actors, right? This whole situation with Ahmad, right, is an example of that, right? is that you've heard of Black people that were burglars. (laughs) And so every Black person to you is a potential burglar, right? And dangerous, right? And a monster. And yet here you are telling me that that's the worst thing. Like you don't want anyone to see you as a monster. Rather, you don't want to be a monster. And I think that there's an interesting thing to consider there is that are you entitled to not have monster tendencies like like monster monster tendencies right like aren't there parts of all of us potentially that are a bit monstrous <laughs> you know what i mean and somehow part of the challenge is being able to recognize that you are human right and to give permission to work through that humanity and to recognize that there's dignity, right, that all men, regardless of their race or creed, are, de- are, are like deserving of, at least uh, under the context of the Constitution, all men are created equal, right? At least that's what it's supposed to be. And at the same time, be able to say that even though I'm not a monster, I have a part to play in this. I've played a part in this. Mm-hmm. And how do I remediate it? How do I become a part of the reconciliation process? How do we begin to work together to restore and then heal the, the fractures, the broken areas of our society that came from stuff or actions that you did not personally do, but, uh, or, or, you know, but you were impacted by, you were implicated in the actions of your ancestors, even if you were not in a direct line of ancestors that did something. If you look white, you were being impacted in this country. Right. Um, uh, if, if, if you look black, <laughs> you are implicated, right? If you have a brown, a black and brown history in this country, let's just say that you're African and don't have a tie to being African American, right? Or, or to the slave history, you are implicated in this because of the history, the 400 year history in, in this country, right? It doesn't matter. We all are being impacted and it is up to us to It is up to us because those people are gone, right? They are dead. 400 years ago, dead. 200 years ago, dead. 80 years ago, dead, right? King is gone now, right? Um, The Kennedys are gone. (laughs) You know, like there are all these people, you know, who have contributed through their own decision and left a mark on all of us because of their decision, because of their decisions, is it not important and just as significant that we see ourselves as having decisions that we need to make in response to other people's decisions and the way that um, we've, we, we've been impacted as a result of that? And I, and I just think that it's, it is really, really difficult, um, uh, maybe even more so for, for white people who are not as experienced in not getting their way. <laughs> you know, on, on things, or at least not as experienced, you know, in, in being able to turn away from, from, from things, just turn an eye, right. Uh, you know, um, to be forced to look at something, right. To be it, that that's just really, um, you know, hard from an identity point of view, just as a, as one person for, you know, to be worried, you know, and, and concerned that something might be wrong to be concerned that there's something there and that something is not just somebody else's, it's mine too. That is hard. That is really difficult. So what do you do? I mean, how, how, how would you encourage people to be consistent in their approach to, you know, managing this, how would you encourage people to be constructive, um, as opposed to non-constructive, right? Or being a part of the problem um, in reaction to what's in the media, in reaction to, you know, black and brown people who are, you know, who are more on one side of this argument, you know, or of this expression. Um, what, wh- yeah, what, what do you tell people who are just in denial? you know, um, about the responsibility that they have. What do you feel like your responsibility is, <laughs> you know, just as a white person, you know, yeah, like, like, yeah. Do, like, do you feel like you have a responsibility to something now? Like now that you know more, do you have a responsibility to something? And then how, and then what? Yeah. And then that, that same question, how do you, um, what, what would you encourage people to, do to 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 be active and to be proximate to this problem and then to engage it in a constructive way
1: yeah yeah i, I would de- i would say I, de- I definitely feel a responsibility um to a degree uh well not even to a degree just full out i've over the last few years i've tried you know to incorporate an ethos into my life and if i feel any compulsion you know, to toward anything, you know, like this podcast, uh, you know, it was after it might have been Charlottesville, uh, where somebody was killed as a result of some race riots and um, and some demonstrations. And it was that point where I was like, man, there was actual blood being shed. And I feel, you know, I I don't want to experience guilt. um, If I if I don't do something, if I don't exercise my voice, I was really perplexed even to where my voice would be in that conversation. Uh, And so that was something that, you know, over the course of a year, I think when we started talking about producing a podcast, I think it was almost a year before we actually Mm -hmm. got it off the ground or six months or something. And and that was part of our conversation was like, what is it, what does it look like? And so uh, that's just kind of my personality. Anytime I see, you know, if I'm walking down the street and I feel compelled to give um, a homeless person some money or buy them a meal, I have to listen to that that gut because it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, I don't every homeless person I pass, I don't give money to or buy a meal, but whenever I feel that subtle tug, uh, it's something that I I listen to and I, I try to lean into and and go with. And so that's what I felt with this conversation. I don't know, you know, to what degree everybody might feel that responsibility. I think that we all have a responsibility to do that. Just like you know, if you're flattening the curve in the case of coronavirus. We all have that responsibility, whether you are uh, symptomatic or asymptomatic and to what degree, you know, that looks like for you, you have to figure that out. You know, are you going to consistently wear a mask even after, you know, they things open back up? Um, You have to figure that out for yourself. But I think as long as you are trying to be productive where you can and where you have influence and not trying to overextend yourself, uh, I, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, and, and figure that out what that looks like for you maybe it is just looking up some resources maybe some googling um and maybe that's what it looks like in 2020 and then by the time you get to 2024 <laughs> maybe that looks yeah. different. and uh yeah, yeah so I, I think there was a second part to your question that i'd
0: I yeah of, no i was, well, I was asking a lot of questions trying to find it you know but i think um it's just i i, I think you did it it's like how how does one stay active? I think that, you know, the, the podcast is one way in which you've, you know, sort of created something very productive, you know, out of your own insights. Um, and so I think there is something to being creative, you know, um, you know, I'll encourage people, of course, just to sometimes just put your social media stuff down. <laughs> and if you look around your life and realize that you don't have any black or brown relationships or any diversity in your life at all that you have intentionally sought out, then that ends up being a problem because you have the power as a member of the majority to literally escape that diversity if you don't want it, you know? Um, Or if it's just not something that you think about, you know? So I I think it's just, um, you know, how, how, how would you encourage people to do that or what's a good starting place for them? Looking at resources um, is, is definitely a good way to, you know, to start, Um, drilling down into the awareness, you know, but how did you become so creative, Mark? (laughs) And how how do you encourage other people to tap into this?
1: Yeah, well, I think you have to look at where you're reacting, you know, uh, you really have to kind of be quiet and listen to yourself and listen to the words. And, you know, if you're trying to fire off a Facebook post, you know, look to see where that reaction is coming from, because it's going to be inverse to something else. Uh, And so that's, it's going to be a clue to where you're being defensive and what you're being defensive of. And so once you begin to kind of be curious and ask those questions, I I think that that's your starting point. You say, why am I being so defensive about this? Uh, And then it'll lead you down a path. And that's where you can kind of start Googling. It'll give you some ideas for some keywords, uh, you know, that you could use. Uh, and that's it. You know, I would I would say start Googling, listen to the podcast, go back to some of our earlier episodes that we've posted, uh, go through our social media feed. Um, but also just realize, too, like you said, kind of step, maybe step away from social media and stop posting for a moment, uh, even if it's in support, because it's that demonstrative behavior that might kind of gloss over some of those subtleties that you need to really excavate. Um, I know people might be tired of me harping on the relationship uh illustration, but it's it 's the one that I have, and I think a lot of people are familiar with uh just like if you get in a fight with uh, you know your significant other regularly, and after every fight, instead of doing the thing that is contributing to the problem you 're going and you 're trying to buy flowers or you you 're trying to buy gifts or you 're being really demonstrative to to demonstrate your love which is fine but if it's not backed up with any real change Mm. then you're just going to perpetuate the cycle uh and so like (laughs) you know your spouse might be like i don't want the flowers i I want you Mm -hmm. to stop hurting me uh and so in in a the same way um you know maybe maybe don't share that post if or maybe you do and then you go back um and you, and you begin yeah, with it's, not, it's not
0: what's seen, uh, it's, it's what's unseen, right? People have defined character before, you know, it's not, you know, the things that you do when people are looking, you know, but the quality of your character can be defined by the things you do when no one is looking, you know, and um, the definition of what you really believe in and what you really value, you know, it's less about the social media post, you know, and more about the quality of the person that's making it you know, and the principled living, you know, that a person can get into. And I, and I, I think you're completely right. You know, Mark, it's like, it becomes very fatiguing you know, to have people to, uh, to like continually, you know, give, give me flowers and offer their condolences, you know, <laughs> I'm like, thank you. I'm so sorry that you're going through this as a black person, you know? And I really appreciate like, even the friends that have reached out, out to me, um, you know, in short order, you know, um uh, you know, in response, you know, to the Ahmad shooting, um, you know, I'm, v- I'm really grateful, you know, for my white friends that have reached out to me, you know, to see how are you doing, Brandon. I want to know that. Um, collectively, I think just as an ethos, um, I'll summarize it this way in Entozaki Shange's play, um, her choreo poem, um, four color girls who had committed suicide when the rainbow was enough yes go look it up um, that is the name of the title of it there is a line um, uh, that's iterated that's communicated by the character the character's name is lady in blue and she's describing a, a scenario that's similar to what you just articulated mark you know where she's with this guy and you know the guy is cheating on her and then he, comes back and says, Oh baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I didn't mean it. I won't do it again. And then she looks at him and she says, I can't get to the clothes and my closet for all the sorries. And the reality oh, is that she's entirely correct. Right. She's like, look, I've got zero room in this closet and in my heart for continued iterations of sorry, sorry, sorry but I'm not willing to live differently, 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 (laughs) or take any responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. Right. And, you know, any one of us has a number of reasons why we act crazy sometimes, you know, and this is why on, on this show, you know, we've encouraged people to go to counseling, right. You know, to get their therapy and to have spaces to process through their issues. Cause the, I think that the you know part of the reality is that racism is a symptom of poor identity and self-concept, you know. And um, if you can put it on someone else, <laughs> or on another race, or on an, or on your privilege, or on whatever it is, then you'll do it, right? If you're broken and unwilling to look at the pains of of your own life, um, or, or 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 even just unwilling to to look at at the Uh, narrative of history in a way that impacts you personally, you know, it's, it's like, you know, don't just close, close your eyes and just assume that you're not a part of the story somehow you are. And whether you're black, brown, white, yellow, green, whatever, you're all, we're all a part of this narrative and a part of the uh, history of the world in some capacity. And it's up to us to define that and not just to abdicate, our ourselves from that storyline but but rather just to put ourselves at the top of the of the food chain and say that none of this applies to me. I can get whatever food I want. I can get whatever love I want. I can be in whatever relationship that I want. I can go and get property if I need it. I don't have to worry about a thing. Everything that I have is because I owned it. It's because I worked hard for it. And when no one that's doing anything good or bad in this in this world has gotten anywhere on their own, unless you can tell me that you gave birth to yourself somewhere, you know, <laughs> you know, somebody yeah. had to get you know, no. get, somebody had to get busy first, you know what I mean? And then you had to be conceived, yeah. you know, on a, on a rainy day in May, <laughs> you know, in order to be born nine months later, you know, and if you could have done that all on your own, you know, and you know it's it's so silly we're just choosy about it you know we love to talk about our psychological histories and our mental health histories and our ancestries when it suits us you know but as soon as we find something that's a little bit dark and dusty over there in the corner we just want to turn it around and say oh no that's not me that's that's the culture that's that's that that's you know i'm i'm living way above that and that doesn't kind of impact me at all and the reality is that nope you are the byproduct of some of this dirty crap over here too
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think you hit it out of the park and I don't want to keep you too long. And I, I know you got to get going, but, uh, that's exactly right. Some of the resentments that I found in, I had in my relationship were just, uh, expressions or manifestations, uh, from within myself. I was kind of in a Valley, you know, I was doing fine uh, professionally and this was shortly after college and I'm, I'm excelling and living in Dallas. And, but there was something that I kind of just felt was, uh, things in my heart that I wanted that I just felt like were out of reach, but I was kind of taking that out in my relationship. And likewise, I think we see people, you know, beating the drum for, for, uh, you know, equality and equity. And, uh, and I think the white person says, well, what about me? Like I struggle. Uh, I do this, I do this X, Y, Z. Uh, But I think the realization is that, uh, you know, have you done anything like you are capable with, out, keeping your foot on somebody else's neck, and uh, you know, in the last few years since I've realized that, my life has really flourished. Uh, I've I've had so many opportunities that I've just I've been able to go out and grab, really living out my faith uh, in a way that I'm just saying, hey, you know what? Like, if this comes to me, like great, and if it doesn't, then great. Uh, but I'm gonna do everything that I can within my power, within my sphere of influence, uh, so that I don't have any guilt. Uh, so that I don't have resentment, uh, that I can wake up tomorrow and say, "Okay, well, what now uh, and what next?" And uh, I think if we all kind of live with that attitude, we're going to be less likely to be defensive and resentful, uh, and we're going to be a lot more open to uh, to living a, a you know a life that flourishes
0: both for yourself personally and I think communally with the. That's so good. That's so good, Mark. Well, this has been. Great and and enlightening. And if you're mad about anything that Mark said, you can reach out to him directly. <laughs> Do not call me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but this is great. And this is a, a different way in which we've approached an episode before. And you know, you know, we're just not going to check the box and say all white people are racist, right? It's not about being racist. It's about finding humanity again. It's about finding dignity. Um, even in the people that, that we want to demonize, because we're trying to make sense of this whole thing. Um, but we also have to balance that, you know, with the truth of the matter, you know, that we're implicated somehow, you know. So yeah. on that note, I hope That's out cool. there in radio world and podcast world that you all feel um, whole and healthy and inspired to go out and to do good. Um, as best as you can and keep posting, keep sharing, but make sure that you're taking time to unpack your own uh, difficulties with this, find your difficulties in this and go find and make new friends. That's all. And sing a song of merriment, (laughs) sing a song of merriment, sing a song of merriment and come together across difference, please. That's what we need. That's what we need most of all right now.
1: Amen. Yes, go go. Pull back the curtain and, and kind of look what's behind Ooh, the scene.
0: Very okay. good, so, Mark.
1: Do that. <laughs> do that this week. Uh, well, thank thank you, Brandon, for facilitating this conversation uh, and being, uh, you know, uh, open as always and vulnerable and uh, and a, mm, a great
0: co-host. Same. I
1: appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, And then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.